Illinois faces some big challenges. Today, you're about to hear a truly honest analysis of the problems we face. Equally important, you'll also hear an in-depth discussion of some practical solutions. This is your radio source for stories, the insight, and the answers you won't hear anywhere else. Not on the media, and not coming from Springfield. You're listening to Illinois Rising, presented by the Illinois Opportunity Project. Now, here's your host, AM560's Dan Proft. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Rising. Dan Proft, co-host of Chicago's Morning Answer, weekdays 5 to 9 a.m. on AM560 with Amy Jacobson. And joining me is Pat Hughes, co-founder of the Illinois Opportunity Project. On this installment, uh, big news this week, developments in the mayoral's ra- the Chicago mayor's race, as you would expect. Um, maybe some unexpected developments. There was some rumors early in the week that uh, Queen Sugar, Tony Preckwinkle, uh, was going to get in, of course. I reported that last week. Uh, but then was the power structure going to consolidate around Preckwinkle as the successor? And we learned uh, late this week that, no, that won't be the case because El Gaito. Uh, Which means the Gaito. That's right. Before he departs uh, to figure out why a million bottles of water were not delivered uh, by the central government in Puerto Rico during the hurricane crisis. They're in his garage, I think. Uh, before he does that, he wants to level up uh, his choice to replace him in Congress, Chuy Garcia, to also replace him with respect to his mayoral ambitions. Here's what Gutierrez had to say this week. I want Chuy to come back and finish that revolution that he started four years ago. Mm. Revolution. Yeah, the the revolt was against Tiny Dancer. Chuy Garcia just happened to be the uh, vehicle for it. I don't know that socialism is what uh, the city was embracing then or now as much as it was a rejection of Rom. I think I'm a pretty uh, convincing person. Um, I think I'm pretty, I'm going to be pretty adamant. And I assure you uh, that Chewie's going to circulate petitions to put his name on the ballot or I will. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. Take it easy, little guy. Uh, for more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by Charles Thomas, founder of the Chicago Drum, longtime uh, political reporter for ABC7 and former WVON morning talk show host as well. Charles, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, man, it's good to hear your voice again. Yeah, it's good to talk to you and uh, <laughs> in these uh, harrowing times in which we live. So uh, we got a lot of uh, folks running for mayor. Uh, you've got uh, Tony Preckwinkle. There's still some noise about uh, Chicago treasurer Kurt Summers, who's uh, black as well, making a run. How do you handicap the race at this point? Well, well, first of all, I mean, this, this makes me think that this was it like this in the Soviet Union back in the Brezhnev era. I mean, when the party chairman, they call him the general secretary, I think at the time, made all the made the call about who was going to do what. And I, I get that sense that that Tony Preckwinkle is basically calling all the shots here. We're about to have the party make the decisions about who's going to be the mayor, who's going to be the county board president, who's going to be the congressman. I mean, this is amazing. Yeah, but when here, you think about but, how one-dimensional this is right now. But here, the here's, people have nothing to say about this. Well, but here's the thing, Charles. The numbers suggest otherwise. The numbers suggest that uh, the uh, Politburo, if you will, may be a bit tone-deaf. SCIU releases this poll this week. I, I, if I was them backing Preckwinkle, I wouldn't have released it. It shows her 
as anything other than the prohibitive favorite. She's at 25%, undecided 19, Vallis 16, McCarthy 13, and on down. And that's before Chewy got into the race. This looks to me like a race to 20, 25% to make the runoff, and then it's anybody's ball game. Well, I see. I don't think, I think one, one thing to look at the Tony Preckwinkle involvement, she right now is working those 50 wards in the city, those committeemen. And if she can be assured that she doesn't have to go into a runoff, she'll do it. I think that's the key. If she has to go to a runoff, if the numbers suggest she has, she's going to be in a runoff, she won't do it. Really? Um, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm thinking. I you, think that's what think she's, she's doing right now. You don't think she's definitely in regardless? I don't think she's definitely in right now. I think that once she starts leaning on people and she is assured that she doesn't have, if she if she's confident that she doesn't have to face a runoff, then she'll do it. Um, I, I think there are some counter forces out there. Um, it, it depends. You know, I, I look at people like Michael Sachs, who was Rom's money guy, right? Mm-hmm. Where is he in all this? I look at some of the other big money guys around the city, like this uh, Fred Eichner of the, what mm-hmm. do they call it, the Applewood Foundation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I look at him. Um, some of the other big money people. What are they saying about this? Who do they want? to back in, in, in this, in this basically democratic party internal, um, drama here. Hey, Charles, Hey, Charles. And I think right now it's, I think it's right now it's, it's Preckwick. Hey, Charles, if what you're saying is true right now, Preckwick, Preckwick at 25% from this one poll and the field's at 75%, which suggests that there is the opportunity for a runoff. If she sees these numbers and you're right, she'll, she'll then back out. Who then becomes the candidate uh, of choice, number one? And number two, who do you think would be a good mayor uh, out of the field that's been announced so far? Well, I don't know. I I don't know that any of them would necessarily be a good mayor because all of them are beholden to the unions. And and, um, that's just the way it is in Chicago right now. That's the power, the power group. I think what the issue would be in the campaign, I think the issue is going to be crime. Crime and violence. That's going to be the issue. That's going to be, that's going to be a narrative that an opponent could take against the Preckwinkle force. Um, that, that that could be the issue in the campaign. With respect, Crime. with respect to um, the field, though, you wouldn't say Vallis is beholden to the public sector unions, wouldn't you? Isn't he the one that's no. not? No, but I I don't think he's. I think that's just John. John Cass writing about Vallis being this why don't, why don't why don't you think Vallis has a chance? Why do I think he won't he doesn't have a chance? I I I, I just think he's kind of a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he really goes to the crime and violence issue that I think the entire city is very concerned about. I think a candidate like McCarthy could could basically galvanize people in the southwest side, far southwest, 19th Ward, northwest side. He could put together something on that issue. He could actually appeal to a smaller but significant element in the black community, senior citizens, who might be able to counter what the machine is bringing. 
Speaking of dinosaurs, uh, the rumor was that Mike Madigan and uh, majority of the Latino caucus on the city council ready to fall in line with Chewy. Latino city council members, not so surprising. Madigan, sort of interesting if that's true, if you believe that's true, which I have good reason to believe it is. It seems to me that he's not only making a play for his district, which is Latino now. It's like Ed Burke's. This isn't, you know, these aren't Irish Mm -hmm. uh, communities anymore. Um, And number two, future demographics, where the power is shifting and uh, he wants to get ahead of it. He clearly thinks that he can ameliorate, uh, allay the concerns or, or, uh, 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 you know, disagreements among the black caucus more easily than he can the Latino. What do you make of that? You know, I'm still, I I haven't been, I haven't seen the, the citywide impact yet of the Latino vote. This could be a watershed kind of moment election. Um, so far, they've always been 15, 20% of the voters. Uh, a lot of people in the Latino community cannot vote because of uh, citizenship issues. I, I haven't seen them really cross that line yet to the, to the point where they're going to be that force. I still think the black vote is what counts. I think the, the fact that Rom couldn't get couldn't rehabilitate himself among black voters is the reason that he's not running mm-hmm. for a third term, mm-hmm. bottom line. Um, so this could be that watershed moment. I, I just don't have that confidence yet that that could happen. Um, I, I think if Chewy ran, I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse about Rom and Chewy. I think people would, I think a lot of people who voted for Rom the last time in a one-on-one would vote for Chewy this time, uh, even in the black community. Charles, would, would Rom's uh, involvement behind any candidate help or hurt, or would it just depend on sort of like, uh, you know, like drawing an inside straight in terms of, of drawing a certain percentage of Rom's vote to get to the runoff? In other words, if Rom backed it, Vallis or someone else, could it be helpful? No. No, Rom, Rom has problems beyond the Laquan McDonald situation. Rom has problems with this whole tax uh this, this overtax taxes, fees, red light cameras, whatever. People are basically very PO'd about all that in other parts of the city other than the black community. Rom has issues there. And, and if you have a candidate with even uh, a moderate amount of funding who can basically tell that story, get that message out, they're going to turn on Rom. Rom has very, had very, very serious problems uh, because of how he approached solving the city's fiscal issues. All Rom did, Rom wanted to tax his way out of the city's fiscal problems. He talks about restoring fiscal stability. Well, all he did was tax, fine, and, and, and assess fees. And borrow. To, yeah, right. He, they, yeah, they were, and borrow. And there was no real creativity there. And that's the great fear of a Preckwinkle administration, that she would do the same thing. Because that's the same, that's all she did, all she has done, since having been uh, won the county board presidency, is tax, tax, and more tax. He is Charles and Thomas, founder of the Chicago Drum, longtime uh, Chicago political reporter for ABC7 and a former WVON morning talk show host. Charles, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, man, thank you for having me. This is a democracy, and we will make democracy work. El Gallito. This is how we do it in the Hillies 4th District. Just another Democrat unrealistic. I want to hear you scream.
Dan, back with Pat on this edition of Rising and uh, turning our attention to state legislative races, particularly in the suburbs. Mike Madigan has been uh, spending a lot of money uh, in support of uh, Democrats running for state rep in the suburbs, both uh, a handful of incumbent state reps in the suburbs, as well as a bunch of challengers, particularly in districts that have long been held by Republicans like my entire life, but uh, are very competitive as uh, we stand uh, uh, less than two months out of Election Day. One of the uh, challengers to a Democrat incumbent in, in uh, Eastern DuPage, to be specific, is Dr. Jay Kinsler. We've had him on the show before, running against incumbent Deb Conroy, who has taken uh, $1.3 million from Mike Madigan uh, over the last uh, several cycles as she's been a state rep there. Sort of a wholly owned subsidiary. We've talked about Deb Conroy before. How you know it's kind of levels of uh, of being a complete toady functionary of the power structure. Deb Conroy is uh, at the top of the list. So beholden to Mike Madigan is she that she did not want to essentially provide information about being sexually harassed by a Madigan field operative slash lobbyist named Shaw DeCreamer, where reportedly. The creamer literally picked her during the last election cycle in her campaign office, literally picked her up, threw her over his shoulder and spanked her for not walking enough. Have you you've never done that to somebody? Is that not a, is that look, is that not a, am, I, am I wrong? Is that not appropriate to do? Um, I mean, holy cow. And 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 Conroy sort of soft pedaled it like, oh, something happened, but I don't really want to talk about it. Right. I don't want to break bad on Madigan because I haven't gotten the OK to break bad on DeCreamer because I need the money so that I can continue to have my seventy thousand dollar year job plus health care, plus a guaranteed pension. And uh, in return, I'll vote against property tax relief. I'll oppose property tax caps so that Madigan can continue to rake in millions as a property tax attorney. And that's how the fix works. The Kramer's like Billy Bats, Dan. Like you can't you can't touch him until until you go get permission. Um, look, th- well, this then is... may, maybe Dr. Kinsler will be our <laughs> Joe Pesci. It may be. Maybe. All right. Well, well, uh, uh, there's also been another incident that happened this week. In that race involving yard signs, sort of a, a rite of passage if you're a Republican candidate anywhere in Illinois. Uh, for more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Republican nominee for state representative in Eastern DuPage. He's Dr. Jay Kinsler. Jay, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Dan and Pat, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, why don't we? Yeah, why don't we start with uh, whatever happened this week that involved uh, your yard signs being taken and uh, the novelty being. Your opponent, Deb Conroy, and her campaign admitting that, in fact, they were doing it. Yeah, you know, one of the comments on, on the social media, which just exploded with this event, was they're not very bright. And I think that's part of the reason why Illinois is in such, such a mess. So, you know, as you know, I'm a physician. I do kidney transplants. In fact, I did a kidney transplant on Thursday night last week. and work pretty much, uh, as well as all my volunteers, I have many volunteers that have day jobs and work long hours. So so we get up Sunday morning, we're going to put up our, our bigger signs. We have permission in many uh, places, private property. One was a car wash owned by a friend of mine right on St. Charles. And so we put up our signs on Sunday. I think we got up about 15 of them. 
and then we walked in the afternoon, and then Monday morning comes, I have to do surgery again, so I work all day. Driving home Monday, and I notice half our signs are gone on my drive home. And I was like, what the heck? I go, they haven't been up 24 hours. And fortunately, there was a constituent who actually saw the Conroy crew literally pull up about 3.30 on Sunday afternoon, probably the busiest corner of all of DuPage County at the corner of Route 83 in St. Charles. And they opened up their minivan. Uh, they jumped, there was like five of them. They jumped out, they pulled up our sign, and they put three small Conroy signs right in, in their place, leaving the other candidate signs there. So this guy said he was kind of nervous, and he was at the stop sign, and he rolled his window down, and he was fumbling for his, camera, his iPhone, and he was able to take pictures. And while he was doing it, he says, hey, leave Dr. Kinsler's sign alone. He goes, that's against the law. I'm going to call the police. And he says they literally smiled for the camera. So, so we got great pictures of them. Right. And he had put that, and then off they went. And, and so there were other signs that were missing in some of the, the private property areas in that area. So, and, then, and, you know, not surprisingly, the Conroy sign's right in their place. You know, you would think somebody would not necessarily leave their name right where their crime was committed. But, um, again, we're dealing with... Uh, you know, the, the Democrat Party here. Yeah, Jay, so, and then and then and then the then Deb Conroy, who's obviously a longtime incumbent, uh, admits to it. Right? She cops to it because she she has such a sense of entitlement and power and protection. This is like these guys smiling at the camera. Right? There, there's no mm-hmm. fear of repercussion or retri- retribution. In fact, it, it, on her side, it's accepted practice. Um, this is the type of culture you're up against. And Dan mentioned, and I know you know this, about her taking you know, $1.3 million from Madigan over the years, that she's a complete toady. Uh, what are you hearing? Obviously, you, you do an enormous amount of work in the district, going to events, going door to door. What are you hearing at the door about the connection between Deb Conroy and Mike Madigan and how people feel about it? Well, the, the biggest thing that I hear is people are just suffering trying to pay their property tax. I mean, that, that's been the hugest thing. They also got clobbered with a 32% state income tax. They see she's voting to actually raise their income taxes. They see that she hasn't done anything to help control their property taxes. And as we all know, the higher your property tax goes, the more your home value goes down. You decrease your home value. So, so these people are just suffering... And, um, you know, it's interesting when you get $1.3 million from somebody, obviously, uh, you're going to owe them favors and you're going to owe them uh, a payback at some point. And I think we see this time and time again. And I, I get a real kick out of her mailers and her, her, com- her public comments where she said she's an independent voice for her constituents. Well, she's not really worried about her constituents, she's worried about paying Mike Madigan back for all the money uh, she gets from him. And uh, it's just perplexing to me why people don't see through this. And many of them are, and that's what our job is as we go door to door, is to be educating the residents on really what's going on behind the scenes because they get just snowed with this, these mailers and their commercials and things. But She's absolutely doing the opposite of what she's putting out in these mailers. 
they're not honest people. And this is, you know, a sign's a sign, and, you know, people say, oh, you know, people take it. But it's just the integrity. It's the ethics. You know, I, I tell my people, I see her stuff around all the time when I go there. You know, we don't touch it, we leave it. That's part of First Amendment. People have a right to put their stuff out. And when you see these people, you know, with their cameras, you know, taking stuff blatantly, and then it was funny at first they weren't admitting it, but then when they saw the pictures, then they had to admit it. And then the police officers we talked to said, well, she'll never. I said, you know what, all I want is I want my signs back, and I'm just letting her know that I'm not putting up with this BS because I said, I'm busy, we're running a campaign, and I'm not going to be dealing with this nonsense. Well, it's it's also an issue. Excuse me. He says she's never going to return signs because that will be indicting her that she was actually behind it and it was her team that did it. Right. And so later that same night, she puts on Facebook from her post sent to our, in in our our Facebook, I think we're up to 8,000 hits on this. I mean, this thing just exploded. Um, She says, here are your signs back. And all of them are back, including the ones that were on private property. So, so she's kind of implementing herself or her team um, that they not only took the signs in, in, in certain areas where we have it on camera, but also the other ones which were, were you know, trespassing in private property. So, you know, th- this is just the ethics, the, the background. I mean, these people, they're not good quality people, and I think that's why we have poor quality government. Well, you know, it, uh, but, yeah, but, I want to change that. But, the, but they're consistent. I mean, they don't respect private property as it pertains to somebody putting a sign in their yard. Uh, and then they don't respect private property in terms of uh, the government taking your private property from you through property taxation. So there is a threat of consistency there. Oh, and oh, by the way, uh, I just want to understand something, too. I, I'm a lawyer, but I don't practice, so I'm not up on the law. If I steal something from a jewelry store and return it, am I still guilty of theft? I... I uh, uh, or does that does that go away because of my I've admitted my crime and I returned? I, I'm just wondering yeah. how the criminal justice system works. It seems to work differently depending on the uh, parties yeah. at issue. It's fascinating. I, uh, I love you, the comments though. We we laugh all day uh, when we read some. One guy goes, "Well, yeah, you return the signs, but how about returning the billion dollars you stole from taxpayers over the sure. last six years you've been in practice?" And, and yeah, just that's going to take a little longer. Equity you stole it. Yeah, the home equity, return the home equity. Yeah, that's probably not going to—I'm sure the police would tell you that's also not going to happen. Uh, yeah. Jay Kinsler, uh, Dr. Jay Kinsler, kinslerforillinois.com is the website. Again, in the interest of full disclosure, Jay is a candidate that I supported through a PAC that I run in the primary and uh, will support in the general against Deb Conroy for all of the aforementioned reasons. Jay, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Take care. Dan back with Pat on this edition of Rising and uh, some uh, fateful news this week. Uh, Not happy news, but you can't say it's unexpected news either. Takeda Pharmaceuticals is uh, leaving Deerfield, uh, taking 1,000 jobs with it. Actually, that was the report, but it's actually 1,700 jobs. They'd already paired 700 jobs from their headquarters in Deerfield, this uh, Japanese uh, uh, pharmaceutical company, and now they're taking a thousand jobs in their headquarters. They're moving it to Boston. You know, low tax Massachusetts. That's how bad it is in Illinois. Uh, Lake County Gazette, uh, one of my, the papers I started reporting, that uh, built a 
the uh, headquarters did Takeda in uh, Deerfield in 2008. Uh, paid uh, $63 million to build it starting in 2006, uh, the 70-acre site that they're on. Uh, and uh, during that time, 10 years of operation here, they paid $22 million in property taxes. Now, they did get uh, state tax credits. This was uh, Blagojevich's biggest tax credit deal. Uh, $15 million in state tax credits to guarantee 500 jobs at the time, which went to 1,700, and now a decade later has gone to zero. Yeah, so a couple of things are going on here. Obviously, the property taxes and the costs here are driving them out. Although, you know, Boston is not, in the Boston area is not an inexpensive or, or easy place to live. It's a major metropolitan city. Exactly. Or, that's the indictment. Right, right. That's the indictment. And, and we have all the, you know, university talent, and, and Chicago is a draw just like Boston is. Uh, it, it's the it's the confluence, Dan, of the rising property taxes and then the edge credits, right? So instead of having edge tax credits and giving out corporate welfare, what we should be doing is providing an economic benefit and an a, and a economic circumstance so everybody can do well, not just a big employer who employs a thousand people. If you gave sort of these advantages, low taxes to the small businesses that support and employ the vast majority of people, workers in Illinois, um, then we could really, really grow. And so what you have here is, is an indictment of two senses. You're taxing through property tax. You're taxing the hell out of the, this company, and so they decide to leave. But then you abated their tax. What are the companies who don't qualify for an edge tax credit going to do? They're getting hammered on property taxes. So if this group who got subsidized is going to leave, what about all the companies that aren't subsidized? What are they going to do as their property taxes go up? Well, here's the other thing. It also is a poignant reminder or educational instance that this rent-seeking game that is played and uh, matched by the government, it doesn't work long-term. You have to have a structural low-tax environment because $15 million in tax credits up front, it only takes you so far. And, uh, and then it doesn't make sense to be here anymore with the highest property taxes in the nation that are cutting into your home equity or if you're a business cutting into your profit margins, your ability to uh, make an extra buck, to hire an extra employee, to uh, open an extra facility. It was interesting, the response from this stone-ass idiot who is a state senator from the Deer, representing Deerfield, <laughs> representing in quotation marks. Her name's Julie Morrison. Uh, and, uh, I mean, if uh, she was any dumber she wouldn't be walking upright. I'm even. I'm so disappointed that Takeda is leaving. I'm even more disappointed that Rauner administration did nothing to prevent these job losses. It's Bruce Rauner's fault. Bruce Rauner is responsible for a lot of things, uh, and done and not done. This really isn't one of them, other than the fact that he has just extended on this approach to uh, business climate in this state. Julie Morrison. I mean, it is remarkable. We were talking with Jay Kinsler and comparing Jay Kinsler doing kidney transplants and, um, and, and National Guard service to Deb Conroy sitting around waiting for uh, Madigan to send out mailers for her. Uh, this, the contrast between Julie Morrison and her opponent, Barrett Davey, Julie Morrison has never seen a tax increase she didn't like. Julie Morrison uh, hasn't had a cogent thought in her entirety 
certainly of public service. That's only uh, only what I know. What I surmise is life. And she's running against Bear Davey. Now, she, there was a, a chance six years ago, Ari Friedman, <laughs> I mean, here we go again, pediatrician, father of 42 kids. Uh, Navy, and, Navy pilot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or chopper pilot. Chopper pilot. Yeah. Uh, um, no, I no, can't, no, no, no. He's not good enough. Uh, now you got Bear, Bear Davy running against her on the against the backdrop of uh, this major pharmaceutical company pulling up stakes and leaving, and uh, he's actually an entrepreneur and a job creator and somebody who understands what a, the a proper business climate should look like. So there's a choice again, and I don't know if the uh, residents of Deerfield and the rest of the district are going to wake up or the ones that are paying attention will go knock on their neighbor's door and slap some common sense into them. But I mean, you know, it's kind of one of these things. If this instance, this event against the backdrop of this choice doesn't galvanize people to chart a different course locally with the prospect of doing so statewide, then I'm at a loss. Well, and I'll bet you the last time that Julie Morrison was with an executive of uh, Takeda Corporation was at the ribbon cutting. Because that, by the way, that's why the edge credits exist, right? They exist to give the upfront money so the politician, like Julie Morrison, can stand in front of the broken ground with a shovel and a helmet and say, look at what we're doing, we're bringing jobs. And then when those jobs leave, what does she do? Well, she blames whatever the closest Republican is because she's done nothing to help the process in that time frame. And that's the kind of thing that Barrett Davey would resolve up in that area. You know what's funny, too? is And, and all, all these professionals in this uh, upper-middle income area, this, these communities we're talking about, right, and the, the uh, corridor up uh, uh, 294, I mean, do you know what they think of state legislators like Julie Morrison? Could you do you know what the executives of Takeda must have thought of her to the extent they had to suffer the indignity of interacting with her? I mean, do you know the people that are voting for the likes of Julie Morrison? They know because they work at a lot of these companies. Do you know how little they think? Do you know how embarrassed they are that there are people like Julie Morrison in a dis, in a position of policy making authority, uh, and you you think that the electorate up there would get it right, but they're pro- too, they're too busy, unfortunately, in many instances, uh, thinking that Donald Trump is icky and Julie Morrison is the opposite, and that's as far as they're willing to think through the problem while their neighbors are leaving to go to Boston. Thus, Illinois, the worst governed state in the history of America. And um, we're going to find out if people uh, continue to seem to find this entertaining and enjoyable. Rolling. Dan, back with Pat on this edition of Rising. And this uh, really interesting video that was unearthed and posted at Breitbart this week. Uh, the Google power structure, uh, Napoleon Dynamite and his brother Kip, also known as the Google founders, uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, uh, hosting a post-2016 election summit with the entire senior leadership team of the most powerful company in the world and their reaction to what happened and then what they said about what they were going to do going forward has incredible political implications both at the federal level but also at the individual state levels when it comes to congressional races and down to state legislative races and local races because Google is such a powerful provider of information and are they being honest, uh, abiding their terms of use uh, with consumers. This is an issue that's being 
discussed at the federal level now. This is why you've had Mark Zuckerberg before congressional committees, Shell Sandberg, the COO of Facebook before congressional committees, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter before congressional committees. Google has declined to participate, but they may not be able to get away with that for very much longer, at least in terms of a honest reckoning. I'm not talking about regulation here. I'm not talking about uh, Justice Department antitrust uh, prosecutions. I'm you know, generally opposed to that, even when it comes to people with whom I disagree. Google, they built an incredible company, but there is this reckoning, this uh, transparency uh, that uh, should at least be raised as a question when it comes to continuing consumer loyalty to Google. Here's Sergey Brin, one of the billionaire co-founders of Google, uh, again, within uh, a few days of the 2016 election, addressing the uh, assembled employees of one Google. Okay, folks, I know this is probably not the most joyous uh, TJF we have had. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, let's face it, most uh, people here are uh, pretty upset and pretty sad for uh, because of the election. Um, but there's another group a uh, small group that we should also think about who are very excited about the legalization of pot. There you go, priorities. CFO Ruth Porat talking about election night and hearing from her friend on the Hillary Clinton campaign. As we started to see the direction of the voting, I reached out to someone close to me who was at the Javits Center where the big celebration was supposed to occur in New York City. Somebody had been working on the campaign. And um, I just sent him a note and said, are, you know, are you okay? It looks like it's going the wrong way. And I got back a very sad short text um, that read, people are leaving, staff is crying, we're gonna lose. Uh, that was the first moment I really felt like we were gonna lose. And it was this massive like kick in the gut that we were gonna lose. And it was really painful. The COO of the most powerful company on the planet. That, that is so embarrassing. And it just goes to show that to be fabulously wealthy and to be fabulously powerful and to build an unbelievable con uh, uh, company or whatever, you don't have to be a fully formed adult, right? You don't have to be a fully grown human being because that is what a child sounds like. Look, the, the Republic has existed through elections time and again. You win some, you lose some, you come back, you try again. But all of this, you know, uh, wailing in, in, in front of the whole company is just embarrassing. How important the, the, their virtue signaling is to them, these Google values they talk about all the time without defining the make the world a better place rap that is almost that is so properly caricatured by Silicon Valley, it's eerie, frankly. And you want to talk about fully formed adults, again, people may be very smart in this space, smart enough to wire up the kind of content that they'll push out or prioritize, the shadow banning that goes on at Twitter and uh, the effort to uh, channel information via Google. These are legitimate issues to talk about in the context of uh, campaign meddling, if you will, at least the need for uh, honesty when it comes to that. And you want to talk about fully formed human beings? Listen, well, listen to when it came time for Q&A time from the Googleists in the audience. You ready for this guy? Uh, speaking yeah. to white men, there is an opportunity for you right now 
to understand your privilege in the society. Take the opportunity to go through the bias-busting training, read about privilege, read about the real history of oppression in our country, and tomorrow night, watch 13th, the movie that is here. If you can't watch it here, watch it on Netflix. Discuss the issues you are passionate about during Thanksgiving dinner, and don't back down and laugh it off when you hear the voice of oppression speak through metaphors, and I promise to do this. That received rousing from everybody there, from everybody, the assembled senior leadership team, the founders of Google, obviously the audience. Everybody was clapping at that statement. Hey, Grandma, you don't, yeah, you could pass those cranberries all you want, but I know that's a me I mean, right. metaphor for white male oppression or whatever the hell. I mean, they take that perspective and they use it, you know, as the tip of the spear to exert influence where they can don't think they don't because they essentially disclose that they're going to at this post 2016 campaign summit at Google. Yeah. That sounds like a meeting taking place in a foreign language like Chinese or Russian, Dan. That's what that sounds like to me. And I'll tell you what, uh, that guy, James Damore, that Google engineer that was subsequently fired after this meeting right. several months later, um, for the memo that he wrote about the culture of Google, golly, apparently he was onto something. <laughs>